Purokshavad means indirect speech. So I like that very much. Hmm? You can, this is a, like a love language. You say indirect and uh, something like <laughs> So the, the influence will be very subtle. If you study the history of America in, in art and music and so forth, you'll find these Eastern influences coming in the late 50s, early 60s, and so forth. And this whole alternative movement, if you will, that uh, has many of its ideas and so forth have become entered into the mainstream of the, the modern society. It's very much what's that, what has done to some extent as has served to help dissolve an east-west dichotomy, if you will. Hmm? It's one world. It's one, one planet, so to speak. And it's multicultural, that's the fact. And, and, and so, on, so on and so forth. But there are distinct ways of thinking in the West and the East. But the West has been... Look at science as another example. There is no place in the world that science has looked to outside of itself in trying to understand the nature of consciousness. No place that it's looked to outside of itself more than India and the Upanishads and, and, and Buddhism is really just an outgrowth of, of the Upanishads of uh, Hinduism. Hmm? And uh, so that's considerable. I mean, the scientific community, obviously, the, the, the meta-narrative of the world is still largely science will bring you salvation, I think. Um, anyway, it's influenced to some extent with regard to consciousness, which is such a central subject hmm, to all of us. As I said the other day, we were speaking, there's two things to consider. What is being observed? What's out there? And what's doing the observing? That's all there is to life. Hmm? <laughs> well, that's the question. What's out there? And what thinks there's something out there? Hmm? What is that? What are these? What is consciousness? What is what is what is matter? What is the objective world? What is the subjective world? Hmm? So when we move in the direction from karma, from material acquisition to karma yoga, we're starting to consider the subjective world. Hmm? It's not a pursuit of things; it's a pursuit of doing what I'm karmically kind of bound to do dutifully. Hmm? such that without being attached to the results, the result of which is something invisible comes to me. If I get a bigger job and a bigger paycheck, I can go and buy something and see that I've got something. But when you give, you don't get something that you can hold up and say, if you really give without expectation of return, this is really the giving. You don't get something when you give. You lose something, arguably, mathematically speaking, right? But invisibly, you do get something. You become bigger. You don't become fatter. Hmm? And your head doesn't become bigger, but your heart becomes bigger. Hmm? Your consciousness expands, and when we take, it contracts. When we take, it contracts. We think that we get more by taking, but we actually become a smaller-minded person. Hmm? And not a very beautiful person. We become selfish. Hmm? And it shows up. It's, like, it's not 
it's in public it's not nice hmm? but when we give and yoga is about giving giving up the fruit hmm? and you still have to do the work <laughs> so there's work involved you must do the work Krishna says you must do the work but you cannot have the fruit hmm? if you want me he's saying you can he's more than he is the real fruit if you will hmm? So this is karma yoga, right? Hmm? So we, we, we do the, our work and the, and the results. So you need some results. Obviously, you have to maintain your family. Hmm? But then everyone has some, some disposable income. Hmm? So this should be used for, for printing a book, opening a temple, hmm? serving sadhus, this kind of thing. Hmm? When, when that starts to become your fun, you understand? That becomes your joy. Hmm? Then we started to move from karma yoga and the knowledge that comes of the atma in the direction of bhakti. The first thing that comes from this nishkam karma yoga is this mystical ingress of wisdom. Hmm? That theoretical atma hmm, starts to become... Um, experienceable, experi- experienced. Hmm? One finds contentment within. Hmm? You see you're in a job, you're working, competing to do the best job you can, and you see some other guy is American, he gets the job, gets the raise, and you don't. And you know, actually, I'm better. You know it. Huh? <laughs> oh, so, but you, and you see, oh, there's bias. See how ugly that is. I don't want that. Hmm? So there are many bad examples that you can learn from and you can grow from them. You see, yoga means you have to, you have to, it's not that you sit down and do yoga. In the Gita, Krishna, when Krishna talks about yoga in chapter 6, he begins by saying, more or less, paraphrasing, if you want to sit, that will depend on how you walk. Your walking will determine your ability to sit. It's not that you sit do yoga and then go do something else. But these have to be connected. How you walk, in other words, how you interact with the world, hmm? that will determine how well you can sit. When you go, if you go and you're in a job, for example, and you're competing with someone else, and fair enough. I mean, it's a competitive environment to get a good product and so forth. It's fair enough that the, that the employers want even to create maybe some competitive atmosphere in order for there to be um, the impetus to come up with something better, new, or whatever. But then you see, whatever, some bias. Maybe you had some experience and somebody else gets the job and you know you're better. So you can get upset. You can, get, you can plug into that. Hmm? Yeah. And that, that, by doing that means you just become part of it. That's all. Hmm? But if we, with the old disposition, you rise above it. You see it. You think, oh, what a petty thing. Hmm? In order to get a, a little more money, hmm, this, you have become ugly like this. It's not pretty. It's not a beautiful thing. So then you, then you carry that with you. You, you, you try to, you, you, try, you start to read the environment in a way that serves your inner, inner growth. Hmm? And, 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 and you walk, in other words, and you, and you interact and talk in such a way 
that it facilitates your sitting. Sit in the morning, then walk, and put these two things have to go together. Hmm? It's, in, it's an integrated kind of whole um, lifestyle, a way of life. Hmm? We're asking the question is, how can I be, you know, in a household, material life, and still be spiritual? The secret here is to bring the two together, actually, to do away with this dichotomy that there's material and spiritual. Hmm? Hmm. That's how we're, what we're moving towards here as we go. First we talk about karma, then karma yoga. The result of karma yoga is jnana. Hmm? Knowledge comes. Hmm? These kind of thoughts then start to dominate and we actually be becoming wise hmm? people. Hmm? And, and, and we can be more peaceful and it, because then we, then we can sit. If you have desires, hmm? then it's hard to sit, right? Because hmm? you've got to get up <laughs> to get to fulfill those desires and so forth. So when we work like this, like I'm talking about in Karma Yoga, then... then, then the nature of material, the naked form of material desire becomes exposed and it's not very pretty. Hmm? We see it. We see, you have to get to the point where the Gita is a living thing, for example. It's a living experience and it's, the book is only the outline. The Gita, Bhagavad Gita is only the outline. Hmm? It's only the table of contents. Hmm? And then you, the whole it's 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 a it's a I'll give you a nice verse from the Bhagavatam it's one of my favorites Sriman Bhagavatam Bhagavat Purana Ayur Harati Vaipumsam Ujjanastan Chayanaso Tasyarti Achanu Nitya Uttama Shloka Vartaya Ayur Harati you understand? Ayur means life like Ayurveda Ayur Harati Ayur Harati, Ayur Harati, Vai Pumsam. Pumsam means all of us. Hmm? Certainly, Vai for sure, Ayur Harati, the life of all people is being taken away. Ujjanastan Chayanaso. It means with the rising and the setting of the sun. Everyone's life is being taken away. When I was young, in California, after I left my, my home for searching, for more than a washer and a dryer, <laughs> then we used to, you know, go and watch the sunsets and sunrises in California and, and meditate on nature and so forth. Sometimes we used to, they used to augment the experience, but that was a different culture that I don't recommend, but uh, <laughs> you don't get that, do you? <laughs> you got it. So... <laughs> So, uh, you live through those things, too. Um, so, we would look at the sunset, it's very beautiful, but it, the rishis would look at it, and they, this is the beauty they would see. It's taking my life away. I mean, it's like, it's beautiful, but it's taking my life. But it's a fact. That with the rising and the setting of the sun, every day you're born, every day you wake up, the chances of your dying are greater than yesterday. Hmm? Right? That's practical math so it, it, so that's not something that's bad that means something is to be done hmm? uh, more than ignoring that fact and trying to hide from that fact and, and just acquire things 
really in the name of Satchitanan, in the name of living forever by getting a bigger house and maybe a dog or something, a fence, you know, or whatever. Uh, and so, so this is the, how they looked at nature. And it said this to them. It's like a verse from Bhagavatam, but it's really a reading of the world. It's a way of, I'm living in the world, but it's speaking to me. Chaitanya hmm? Mahaprabhu. Hmm. He gave a beautiful verse for his devotees, the decorum of his devotees. The verse is, Trinadapi sunichena torodapi sahishnuna amanina manadena kirtaniya sadahari. But he didn't sit down and just like write this. Nature spoke to him. The verse said, the verse is, Trinadapi sunichena. You should be, the grass is speaking. Grass? You should be more humble than us. When you step on the grass, it just bends over. Right? It doesn't complain. Hmm? Humble. Well, he looked at the grass, and the grass said this to him. I mean, the world was animated. Hmm? Consciousness animates matter. Hmm? And it can animate it to the point that matter speaks to us. It teaches us. You come to listen to me, but I can tell you, listen to the grass. <laughs> hmm? Listen to the tree. He, the tree said, Tarora peace the You should be tolerant like me. I stand here all day long. If the sun comes, I give shade to people. Hmm? If it's cold, I can give some warmth. If it rains, I am their umbrella. I take the rain. I take the sun. I take the, the cold. Hmm? I take the heat and I give shade. And if someone chops me down, I don't say anything about it. Hmm? He said, you should be tolerant like a tree. So he was, the nature was speaking to him. Hmm? He saw a tree and his tree said, you should be tolerant. The grass said, you, 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 should, you should be humble. Amanina hmm? manadena, you should honor others, expect no honor for yourself. And kirtaniya sadahari. In this kind of frame of mind, with this type of decorum, you can always do kirtan. Hari kirtan. Hmm? Adikirtan doesn't mean just sitting and chanting. Kirtan means kirti, means to, to glorify, hmm? to live a life of celebration of the, the beauty, the, 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 the truth about our, the Godhead and our, our nature as the, as, the, as the spark, if you will, of the fire of consciousness. Hmm? So living in a yoga kind of sensibility you hear these things you practice and then you kind of try to take this with you to work and whatnot and and, and learn let, let the environment it's not saying anything different the world the material world is not like against us matter is not against us it is also a Shakti of Bhagwan. if we were to go forward we can use both positive impetus and negative impetus. Like you try to teach your kids, you give them positive impetus, you set a good example, and so forth. And then there's plenty of negative impetus also by which they can learn. Sometimes that's a better teacher. Hmm? You try to tell your kids, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, they won't listen. Then they do it, and they get the reason by experience that you were trying to tell them, and they come back, you know, I now I know what you're talking about. Hmm? And I won't do that again. So... 
it's hard sometimes to, to learn by hearing. Sometimes we have to learn by experience. Sometimes, unfortunately, we don't even learn by experience. That, that becomes a problem then. But, hmm? but I'm saying that, that through sadhus, shastra, so we get a good example, we can learn the teaching, we can get a positive impetus. But maya provides a negative impetus. She's not inactive. Hmm? You know, she has like the trident, you know. Adidaivik, adiatmik, adibotik. <laughs> so there's much to learn with if their eyes are opened. Hmm? And what the learning is about myself. What, what is the atma? Theoretically, and then this some, some beginning experience hmm, that I am an atma hmm, starts to come through detached action. Hmm? And one can be peaceful, um, wise. I don't mean learned. Like, I have no college education hmm, um, at all. But I have some, by the grace of my gurus, I have some, some wisdom, some experience. And then I try to articulate my experience. It happens to correspond with the Gita, with the Bhagavata, and so forth. Hmm? So I feel uh, uh, blessed. So there's a difference between theoretical knowledge, jnana and big jnana, hmm? and, uh, and, and, and realization. Hmm? For that, we need a transrational method. Hmm? Not irrational. It's not irrational, but it transcends the limits of reason. Kirtan, for example. Uh, it doesn't have to make sense. There's a saying that uh, love knows no reason. Hmm? It's not unreasonable, but it's not limited by reason. Where will we get by reason alone? It will go in a circle only. Tarko pratishtanat. By argumentation, tarko, you never get any pratishta, any real ground to stand on. Every argument can be supplanted by another one. And if you say, well, Swami, then your argument can be. I said, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. So for getting real standing on firm ground, then we have to have a different method than reason alone. One that reason points to by pointing to its own limitations. Hmm? So by karma yoga we get some gyan. With gyan we can be peaceful, then we can do dhyan, right? Meditation. So we're moving for the third chapter, karma yoga, fourth chapter, gyan yoga, Nishkam, sannyas yoga, dhyan yoga, sixth chapter of the Gita, dhyan. Then he's talking about sitting, not too high, not too low. Yuktahadam biharasya, like you had the football. I mentioned little recreation. Krishna says you have to be regulated in eating, sleeping, and recreation too, some little bit. Sometimes my guru is a very serious person. Sometimes he would say, so now we have a little fun. He would tell a joke, some Indian joke. I could never get it. <laughs> anyway, so balance. That chapter is talking about yogic balance and dhyan, meditation. And, and as we go through the chapter, the sixth chapter, remember these first six chapters, they're all about you. What is the atma? Hmm? And different methods are talked about how to move in the direction of that which Krishna begins in the second chapter. We should talk about the Atma. Hmm? Not about Dharma. 
not about being a good human, but what you are beyond being a human, however good of a human you could be. Hmm? And then, having talked about that, Atma, theoretically, how to realize that? By yoga, that's action, some action, to make the connection. Hmm? Different types of yoga, for different types of adhikar, different types of persons will have different eligibility. Hmm? When we get to sixth chapter, there's Ashtanga yoga, mystic yoga is being described there. He gets to the end, he, he starts talking about the, the, the uh, so valuable is the spiritual practice. Because Arjuna worries, what if I practice this, I give up the Dharma, I do the yoga, but I'm not successful because it's difficult. He's talking about controlling the mind, and it's like trying to control the wind. How will I do that? And Krishna says, yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> I agree. But it's possible, he said. Hmm? It's possible. But practice by detachment. Hmm? But Arjuna said, what if I'm not successful? I will have given up dharma, so I'm culpable there, and I'm not successful in yoga, then will I, what will be my position? What does Krishna say? He says, no, don't think like that. Just to try yoga is to be successful. Hmm? Just to try it. Just to try to be to transcend the, the limits of the human condition and to pursue what I say theoretically you are, that is such a glorious thing. Hmm? He says, even if you, you yoga imperfectly, you will go to heaven, which is the whole result of doing the Dharma perfectly. Hmm? If you do Dharma perfectly, you can go to the celestial realm, manasa. In the, in, it means psychic realm. Hmm? The mental realm. Uh, it's another subject, but you can go there. Hmm? But you can't stay there. Abrahma Bhuvanaloka Punara Vartinarjuna. Mamu Petitakonteya Punarjanabidite. You can go to you can become a Brahma, he said, but still you have to come down from there. But if you come to me, he said, you never come back. Punarjanmana. Punarjanmanabidite. Hmm? Come to me means you're not going to a temporary place. Hmm? You're not going to a place that will become boring at some point for you and give me cause for wanting to go somewhere else. Hmm? Such as my dham. Hmm? Again, he says it in another way. This is my dham. Hmm? Like this. Going there, one never returns. What is the implication of that, never returning? But you're going to a dimension. You're coming in touch with, a, with, with, a, with your source. That, and it's, it's your home. It's like being at home. Hmm? Home in the heart. And for home going, you need a home knowing person. That would be very helpful. Hmm? Essential. A home-going, a home-knowing guide. Hmm? That in my humble experience, I have such a guide. Without that, I could, I could take from here or there. But then, on my mind, choosing I like this, I don't like that. You know? We can choose from anything. That's good. Open mind, but we should have one-minded focus also. Hmm? So, in sixth chapter, he says. Even if you imperfectly do the yoga, you will get the result of the dharma. 
And then, after a long time being there, you will come here, and you will take birth in a family of Hindus, or yogis, hmm? transcendentalists. Your yoga sanskar will come again, hmm? and you will pick up, take it again, and you'll have a favorable wind in that life. Things that are, you struggle to do now, I'm trying to do this for me, but it's difficult. Yes, it's difficult. Keep trying. This is only one frame. As we said, in the whole real, the whole movie of your life. You have to be patient like this and have a longer range vision. Then you, things that you try to do in this life that are very difficult, next life you will do very easily in terms of sadhana, for example. Very easily. You're born with a natural tendency for it. You, you land with your feet on the ground and naturally go. Hmm? Like myself, I, when I turned, when, when I was 14 years old, I wanted to know about yoga. At that time in America, people didn't know the difference between yoga and yogurt. Yogurt was weird. Seriously, it was weird. <laughs> so I don't know, where did I come from? Hmm? I enter, I went, my parents said, yoga? Really? Tie yourself up like a pretzel. Yeah, this is my interest. Hmm? And I saw it. Hmm? Hmm? So, patience is a virtue. Right? Hmm? You have to be, there's a point where you have to become theoretically committed and convinced. And then you become convinced about principles, certain principles. Hmm? And then you can teach those principles to your kids. Don't try to teach them all the details. Details will change from culture to culture. There will be differences and so forth. And you try to get them to do everything the way you did everything. They will not listen to anything. But there are certain principles that you can teach them. Hmm? Ahimsa. Hmm? You can make such a good case for this that they will, they will know, if I don't do this, I'm being unreasonable. And there are many, many Americans who will agree now. Right? So many will agree you should be vegetarian. So many, I know one of them. Here's one. Another. There are so many. Hmm? It's my student, Gornanayan. He was just telling me this morning, I said, how is the school? He's going to university in Boone. Hmm? He said, it's very good. He said, so many students interested in, in, in what I'm doing. What are you doing? I mean, I'm my bhakti. So he's talking about it. They're interested. They want to learn. Oh, you're vegetarian. That's cool. Because hmm? mostly their parents are meat eaters, so they won't want to do something different <laughs> than their parents. So, so you can, if you instill this kind of, this is the principle, for example, ahimsa. Hmm? Um, let's talk about, we were talking this morning, uh, how distorted values can get where a person can be running for president and be the most popular one in a certain party simply because he has money. He said, he says, you should vote for me. I'm successful. I have money. I have billions of dollars. I must be the, the, the best leader. I mean, that's about as bad of, you know, logic as you could possibly come up with. And it, 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 but uh, <laughs> so Money, if you have money and you have sex, your life is successful. Really, you only need money because you can buy sex. You only need money. 
this doesn't make your life successful. Look, this is these are two like cardinal you know values of the modern society. But it's not difficult to expose the shallowness of these these values. Hmm? Sex, for example, you want new children. You worry my children are going to be dating. Oh God, now what? You know what's going to happen? We didn't do it like that. You know, with, with so forth. You have come from a different being raised in India and so forth, and that's changing in India now, but you know, it's been years since some of you, you've been here for years and years, maybe you've been in America more than, longer than you've been in India, even, some of you living here. So you had to teach your children, look, the, as far as sex goes, I can tell you, that you just make a simple point like this, the best thing that happened to me as a result of sex was you. That puts the whole sex life, and that's true. You, you, I mean, you admit it. It's, it's not hard to, if you've had kids, you're like, it's actually, that's an urge, I get it done, but there's something so much more meaningful. Hmm? So you have, you have to connect this physical urge that so drives the human race and all species, right? It's not a bad thing, I mean, or would it be without it? <laughs> It's not a bad thing. The, perp the point only is that, that it's more than just the physical side of it. Hmm? Uh, uh, there's, there's, if you add, with, if the physical side is combined with a sense of commitment, it has more meaning, hmm? more value. People as humans, they need some intimacy, some humans. They need some, int most, some intimacy. Oh, it's a way of showing intimacy, but you can't do that with everybody. Hmm? And I'll tell you a story shortly. Well, I was in, in Brindaban, you know, Mathura, Brindaban, India, and I was riding on rickshaw going to a temple to have the darshan at the arti. Hmm? So arti at a certain time, we're riding, and there was, I was a sannyasi, and there was one brahmachari riding with me. And we were riding to the temple, and suddenly there's a big stop traffic, and there's a band, and it's a wedding procession, so everything stops. Boom, a man riding on a donkey, you know, in a turban and the whole thing. <laughs> so it's a big, so everything's stopping. You can't get through, you can't get to the Arctic, anything, you know. So the Brahmacharya says to me, oh, this is terrible. This is Maya stopping us from going to the temple. And I said, no, it's beautiful. It's, look, it's just, they're renouncing everywhere. This man will be with this woman and don't look for them somewhere else. We're making a, a big announcement here. These two will be together. They'll stay like this. They belong there. So you, you license the whole affair and, and you bring more meaning to it. So, yeah, so I thought, that's beautiful, actually. Hmm? This is right out of Bhagavad Gita. This is Kamos me, Bharatashiva. What is it? That's a, that uh, you do that. The sex in relation with dharma. Hmm? Uh, so anyway, so you, you explain that this is a very practical thing, and you come to the point that not only is is is, is what do I add to the physical act commitment, hmm? and and commitment makes me bigger because when you're married, you know you have to make sacrifices, right? You have to somehow make it work. 
You have to, so you, it's a great opportunity for growing. Hmm. Now it's thought, get a girl, get a guy, and just be happy. And, you know, and, and, but it's, it doesn't, it's very shallow, very shallow idea. Hmm. How you can grow in a relationship, hmm. you have to understand the other person's mind, try to live in there. Love means that you, you give me your heart, and you take my heart. So you make my desires yours, I make your desires mine. We never have any problems then. You're always working for my desires, I'm always working for yours. Hmm? And, this, and this principle, again, is coming up. Giving, we grow by giving. That's not rational. It's not mathematically you know, sound idea. That by giving, I will get more. But that's our practical experience. Not that you have something to hold up and show, look, I got this, but you're a bigger person and people can see it in you. Hmm? The self is expanded rather than contracted by giving. So relationships are really about giving. We think they're about getting because we are feeling a little half, little empty. And when we get, I mean, I speak from a male point of view. I mean, I'm a sannyasi, but, you know, I was a young man before I was a sannyasi. So, you know, I know what it was like to have a girl and you feel like, wow, I feel better now. <laughs> I feel more confident. She, she thinks I'm good. I must be good. Hmm? So that we do that, you know, for one another in relationships. So relationships have great power for helping us to grow. You have to present to your kids these kind of ideas. And then ultimately, like I said, the best thing you can tell your kids that came out of, you can be frank with them. Because hmm? you can be sure as they get older, they're going to be thinking about sex life even if there's no propaganda, <laughs> and there's plenty of propaganda hmm? for all different kinds of sex life, hmm? right? All varieties and, and find new ways. And it's just a huge, very sexed Kali Yuga uh, culture. But you have to say, what my experience is and your mother's experience and is that the best thing that came out of it is you. Hmm? And with you came so much commitment on our part so much that we had to dig deeper and we have to work more for you so that you can go to school, you can go to college. And all this we're doing, this, is making, this has been, thank you, you can say to your son. I give my namaskar to you. What you have done for me, you enable me to grow and become a, a better person, hmm? a bigger person. Hmm? I offer our tea to you. See it, live in the garland. Hmm? It's a living thing. It's just learning from your own kids, you can learn. Hmm? You get the right frame of mind like this. And so you, this is a very powerful argument. You say you don't say, and don't have sex. You don't go dead. They're going to. I mean, your kids get older in this culture. It's unavoidable. They're going to experiment to some extent. It's pretty useless to just hammer on them. You know, don't do that. Then they just won't. They'll do it. And they won't tell you. <laughs> That's all. You, you trust him a little bit. Hmm. That, that you, have you made mistakes? You have made mistakes. They will make mistakes, too. Hmm. They will make mistakes. Let them make some mistakes. But let them make them in such a way that they can learn from them by your own example. Hmm. You teach them values like this, principles like this. And above, ahimsa, vegetarianism, the way I'm speaking about um, sex life, um, 
the environmentalism. This is an important thing. As I said, this is part of Eastern culture. You know, in the Western culture, it's very interesting, but you have Descartes, French philosopher. He said, cogito ergo sum, you know, I, I think, therefore I am. He made this division between the, uh, the thought world and the, and the physical world. Hmm? And in Hinduism, th- thousands of years earlier, I mean, it's like ingrained in the whole culture, there's this idea that there's consciousness and then there's matter. Hmm? But the way it showed up in Europe through Descartes, there are other philosophical problems with it, but besides that, he said that human beings have consciousness, and consciousness, because we're conscious, we are, and animals aren't conscious, and trees aren't, and so like that's where the whole environmental crisis came from. So we just rape and pillage the world, and what it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's very shocking what, what they, what some of the experiments that Descartes did to try to demonstrate that animals have no souls, for example. Hmm? But in India, you have this clear sattvic discrimination between consciousness and matter. That is sattvic discrimination, sattvic intelligence, to be able to discriminate between consciousness and matter. Hmm? But in discriminating between consciousness and matter, matter wasn't thought of as something to rape and pillage for the sake of consciousness because Consciousness is not a thing. It doesn't need matter. <laughs> and so you have this very harmonious kind of relationship with nature in the context of pursuing the Atma. Like I said, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So we approach nature with gratitude and the sun and the river and so on and so forth. And, and it fosters an understanding of ourself. Hmm? So like they say, humans are the caretakers of nature, so you should take, you do it with care, not with slaughterhouses and this is <laughs> with any care or feeling. You say, well, they're not humans. Well, that's what they used to say about Negroes, too. There was a time in this country where, where African people were in, were in zoos, where you go to the zoo and say, look, there's an African man. Eat some popcorn. Let's go see the lions now. It's shocking, isn't it? And they could treat them in a certain way because they dehumanized them. Hmm? They, they, they didn't have feelings. It doesn't take much, you know, go pick an apple and, you know, slit the throat of, a, of, a, of, a, of an animal. You see there's a difference, right? The tree will give, doesn't complain and it doesn't die. Hmm? Anyway, so you can make these kind of arguments, but above and beyond this, these kind of these are like principal kind of cardinal virtues or principal ideas details they're not going to do everything like you your kids but given these principles they 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 they're rooted in the gita they're deep they're they're current they're not old superstitious ideas and above and beyond all of the ones i'm talking about is and we've talked about it a little bit is the idea that you are consciousness not matter hmm? That consciousness is not an emergent property of the brain or an epiphenomena of the brain. It's actually ontologically independent of matter. And the whole yoga systems of all the yoga systems are meant to prove that. Hmm? 
That's why we shut down the senses to some extent and the mind, we go within and we live with less. I mean, people think, hear about my life and they go, how, did, how can you live like that? You don't have a television? You don't eat meat? How do you live? So, I mean, there's other examples of yogis living in caves and only, you know, breathing every hour or something like that. So the point is that they're demonstrating to one extent or another that consciousness is actually independent of matter. Hmm? And that it's rewarding to experience because experiencing the nature of consciousness in the Atma results in compassion, love for all beings, universal. Not I love you, but I don't love her very much. But a love that goes deeper than that, right? For all beings. Krishna says in the Gita, the yogi who sees the sufferings of others as if they are his own. That yogi is very dear to me. Hmm? To see underlying all this psychological and biological reality, the, the spiritual reality hmm? that we all have in common, right? Hmm? So, to, so this is a very powerful, important point and you to try to impress it in your children because they'll go and they'll learn that you're, you know, they'll learn in school the popular scientific idea, which is just a faith, really. I like to say this, and I'll make this statement again. Science is good to a point as far as knowing things, but it proceeds on the basis of faith that there is an objective world. You cannot prove that. And meditation proceeds on the basis of the experience, not the faith, but the experience that I am. Spiritual life, properly understood, proceeds on the basis of, of experience, which is the ultimate praman. Hmm? Praman? Hmm? You understand? Way of knowing, epistemology. Hmm? Because I experience it, you know, I, I, it's confirmed something less. We, we are. We have many experiences. They may be good, they may be bad, they may be correct, they may be incorrect. But it's certainly correct that I experience. That's correct. Do you understand? I may have an experience that's wrong. I may think it's, it's, a, it's a person and it's a tree in, in the night. My experience may be incorrect, but the fact that I experience, that's correct. That's not changing. Hmm? That I am. And I am means I am the theater of experience. And matter is experienced. There's a big difference between the two. Hmm? So this reductive, scientific re re reductive idea that to reduce consciousness to matter is to reduce humans to machines. Where will, where will moral values, you know, go to at that point. You can theoretically say, well, we can still have more of it. Uh, if that becomes a worldview, a, a dominant worldview, people have every reason to be unreasonable because reason doesn't have any, any more meaning than rain falling on the roof. Hmm? The whole reductive argument that consciousness can be reduced, reduced to matter is an absurd argument because there's no argument. If everything is just matter, there's no meaning to reason. You understand? <laughs> so it's, it's, I was, it was kind of silly to have a debate with somebody who believes that from the beginning. Hmm? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So anyway, this is the point in the Gita. This is not some old book from, you know, centuries past that should be just, you know, burned or kept on the shelf for posterity, but it, it has relevance. So you, these kind of points you have to understand and you have to instill them by your example and by precept, for example, in your children. Hmm? And this is a practical type of explanation, how to um, proceed in your everyday life spiritually. Now, let me end this discussion with this, because we've talked about karma, we've talked about karma yoga, we've talked about jnana and dhyana, and at the end of the sixth chapter, what does Krishna say? He says, anyway, Arjun, better than to be a tapasvi is to be a jnani. Better than to be a jnani is to be a yogi. Better than to be a yogi is to be, he says, you know it? A devotee. Remember that was what I said the Gita was about. It's better than, he says. And then seventh chapter, he starts to talk about himself. First he's talking about you. He tells us a wonderful thing about ourselves. Your Atma. You are beyond time and space because you're not matter, so you have no beginning, you have no end. So on and so forth, and now a little practical how you can realize that for different systems, and and now I want to say to you, compared to all those systems, this is the best system, because there's not only you, there's also me, hmm? and I'm very big, and you're very small, so you've got a big task. Why don't you take a little help from somebody who's very big and can help you? That's my position. Krishna starts to speak about himself. I'm the source of everything. It's for six, whole middle six chapters, theology, all about Bhagwan, Krishna. Tattvamasi, hmm? you are his, you are his. This is bhakti. This, this is very friendly because you're not on your own here. You don't have to struggle too hard. You take his help. Hmm? And, and Krishna, of all forms of the Godhead, I mean, you have to admit, he's the most charming. I mean, he's the... <laughs> He's the most like us, right? He touches all of our emotions, his leela, hmm? enables us to connect with him emotionally in every way. Hmm? And, and he's spoken Gita very beautifully. Hmm? His life is depicted in Bhagavatam. Hmm? And in Braj, in Vrindavan. Hmm? What does he do there? In Kurukshetra, he's establishing Dharma. But in Vrindavan, he's doing nothing but, but playing. Hmm? With who? He's become somebody's child there. Yashoda. He's become the friend of Sudama, Sridam, Subal. He's become the, the lover of Radha. Hmm? He's like a plaything. Bhagwan has become a plaything in the hands of Bhakti. Hmm? He's, he's, he's conquered by love. Hmm? He is the, of all the Hindu gods and goddesses, he's the heart, so to speak. Buddha is like some wisdom, you know. Shiva is a meditator, you know, this is good. Gyan, hmm? Shiva. Krishna, Vishnu, he's everywhere. Hmm? 
Narayana, Narayana, the shelter of all beings. Krishna is, means irresistible. Krishna, all attractive, the heart of divinity. Playing out the leelas, just playing. If you, it take if you if you, if you want to play, you have to have some power. I'll give an example. If you feels like if you want to play, meaning you want to take a vacation, you have to have some power with the company to take some time off. You have to have some power in the form of money in the bank. Hmm? You understand? So the god depicted in Hinduism who is only playing is all-powerful. <laughs> he is all-powerful Krishna. And at the same time, he's under the power of bhakti. He's worried. He says to his friend, Subal, does she love me? What do you think? And he says, Radhe, Radhe, chants into Krishna's ear. And he goes, oh. his heart starts beating again. Hmm? These are very interesting theological uh, concepts. Hmm? My Guru Maharaj, he used to say, every religion worships God. Hmm? Every religion sees God as the most worshipable object. And he said, in our tradition, we worship the worshipable object of God. That is Radha. Hmm? You understand? This is very theologically upsetting, so to speak. God is touching the feet of, of Radha, Krishna. These are secrets, but <laughs> the yogis will go, what? <laughs> he's God, I have to see him. And he, he's bowing down to some, how can it be? This is bhakti. Radha is bhakti devi. What is the power of bhakti? It has the power to dispel maya. That's easy. Why is it easy? Because it has the power to, to overwhelm Krishna, to make Brahman dance. As I've said before, Brahman is everywhere, so how can it move? If you're everywhere, how can you move? Krishna is para-Brahman. Yanmitra paramanandam puna Brahma sanatanam. Brahma says in Bhagavad, you know, when Krishna stole, Brahma came, he stole the calves of Krishna. He stole Krishna's friends for one year. You know the story? Brahma Mohan, Leela. Brahma, not Mohan, Vimohan. Brahma, he's the biggest guy in the world in one sense. He's got four heads, he's very smart. Hmm? He became bewildered by Krishna. He stole the calves of Krishna. He stole the friends of Krishna. And Krishna just made more friends and more calves. Hmm? Brahma was very bewildered. Then Brahma said, what's going on here? And then Krishna showed all those calves, all those boys, they turned into Vishnus. Hmm? And from them came Brahmas and Brahmandas, universes. And Brahma's four heads were spinning round and round and round. Hmm? And, <laughs> and, and, and this is just the play of Krishna. And Brahma's marveling with it. Who are these people playing with him like this? And Brahma said, Aho bhagyam, aho bhagyam, nanda gopa brajokasham, yan mitram paramanandam punabrahma sanatanam. Aho bhagyam, oh how lucky, aho bhagyam, oh how lucky, how fortunate are the people of nanda. 
Nanda, Jashoda, these coward people. Why? Iyan mitram paramanandam. He was paramananda, purna brahma, sanatanam. Is their mitram? Is their friend? Acting like a friend. How did this happen? How, I mean, I mean, we are just a spark. Brahman is the fire. How can the, how can the finite get close to the infinite? If I was the infinite and you were the finite and you realized it, you would say, oh my God. You understand? Oh my God. I'm next to the I will feel how finite, what it means to be finite. I'm next to the infinite. We'll create some distance. Hmm? How can we get close to the infinite? That means Brahman, who is infinite, has to become finite-like. That is Krishna. Hmm? He appears finite, but don't think he's finite. <laughs> he's not finite. And what causes him to do that? Love for him. Hmm? What kind of love? Love like gopikas. It means if anything got in the way, just like if you're, if you, if you, if a young girl falls in love with a young boy and you say, no, he's a bad boy, don't, don't, <laughs> whatever you try to say to try to stop it, that will cause them to go forward that much more. Hmm? Nothing can check their love for Krishna. This kind of love for God we should have. <laughs> and this means Krishna is that form of God, the Godhead, that appears to have intimate union hmm, with this devotee. Hmm? Hmm? Hmm. Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, he speaks about himself as Bhagavan and in some secret passages, hmm, if you understand properly, or one way of understanding, he's speaking about this kind of love, hmm? rag bhakti. Hmm? And with this kind of love, we really dissolve this, this, this problem that we started with. How to have the spiritual life when I have a material life? Because in this type of bhakti, you can turn your whole material life into a, into a spiritual life. Look at the people of the Braj, these people, these coward people. They're just ordinary people. They're just taking care of cows. They go to church on Sunday. They worship Narayan and their mind is somewhere else. Just like you listen to me, and sometimes your mind is going somewhere else. Hmm? I've got to do this, or maybe you have to do that. Or, hmm? Of course, their mind is only on Krishna. Do you understand? In the home of Nanda Maharaj, he has the Shalagram, you know Shalagram? Of Narasimha. They're worshipping. They worship in the home, but their minds are always on Krishna only. Everybody. Hmm? I, I want to say this to you, it's very beautiful, you see, because in, in Gyanmarg, you cannot have any friends. Sorry. Yogamarg also, unto itself, you cannot have any friends. Hmm? You cannot have a wife, you cannot have a family. Read the Gita. Sixth chapter of the Gita, it's talking about Yogamarg. What does it say there? What is the, one of the Yamaniyama? You know Yamaniyama of yoga? Brahmacharya. Finished. Now none of you can do yoga unto itself. You can mix but, hmm, with bhakti. You understand? Hmm? In yoga marg of Patanjali, you have to be brahmachari. 
Similarly, in, in Janmark, the Vivek, um, this uh, uh, Bairagya, hmm? Satsampat, hmm? Sama, Dhamma, all these things, and Brahmacharya, hmm? Mukshatva, desiring moksha. Hmm? Desiring moksha means I desire to get away from the world, the material world. Hmm? No, you created a problem. There's the spirit, and you're trying to get away from something. Hmm? That is the tiag. And then there's the bog. Remember we said the two sides are the same coin. Hmm? Hmm? So in Gyanmarg, in Yogamarg, it's difficult. If you are all in Gyanmarg and Yogamarg and you want to know how to live in the world and, and be spiritual, I have to say, well, you have to leave the world. <laughs> That's not possible. Hmm? You understand? The world is perpetuated by, not by brahmacharya, Hmm? But in Bhakti Bhag, there are so many bhaktas who are married. Hmm? So many great ones. Now, some people will say, yes, bhakti is for the weak people. But we say, no, bhakti is so strong, so powerful, because it can conquer Bhagwan, make him like your child, make him like your friend, hmm? even. Make Brahman who is everywhere and can't move because he's already everywhere. Dance. But it's the power of bhakti. So for bhakti, can, it's because she's so powerful. Even if you are a family man, hmm, you can still make spiritual progress in bhakti. Hmm? But you have to little, understand a little the philosophy underneath bhakti. Otherwise, it just becomes a ritual. Hmm? So we're trying to share a little of the, the philosophy. Hmm? Hmm. And... Um, Practically speaking, in bhakti, you can frame your life in such a way that, that you can do everything that you do, and it can be spiritual, because it's all a question of motivation. Hmm? Again, karma means I try to take from the world, exploit the world, because I don't realize that it doesn't belong to me. I'm a thief. In karma mark, I'm taking. You understand? It's the exploitation. Gyanmar means... Okay, I don't want to be a thief. I won't take anything. Or it means, I can't have it. Okay, I won't do anything. Do you understand me? If you say to your child, no, you can't have that. No, all right, then I won't do anything. I'll go stand in the corner. Gyan is something like that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if I can't have it, then I'll try to be it. Do you understand? If I can't have it, okay, I understood that, then I'll try to be it. Ambramasmi, I am Brahman, and I just sit here. It's okay. It's better than trying to conquer the world. Hmm? But bhakti is another thing. Hmm? And in bhakti, what is the detachment in bhakti? Bairagya. The bairagya and jnana is very heavy. Again, you have to be brahmachari or in yoga. That's pretty heavy. Bhishma. Huh. The word came. Oh, you, how can you do that? You know the story in Mahabharata? Bhishma. Kshatriya, <laughs> a warrior, will be Brahmacharya. Bhishma. We should go. <laughs> how is it possible? Hmm. Hmm. Gan Marg, Yoga Marg, no place for this. But Bhakti Marg, hmm? then the power of Bhakti is such that 
rather than in, in karma where we exploit the world or gyan when we try to get away from the world, in each instance the world is the center. One's trying to take it, other's trying to get away from it. Again, these are the two sides of the same coin. Hmm? We could systematically try to take and find the karma mark and go to heaven. It looks pretty good. I'm there for thousands of years. Then I come down. I could systematically try to not take. That's Gyan Mark, and I can go and sit in Brahman forever. Peace, peace. Hmm? Yeah. But again, these are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Hmm? You have to deny one to do the other. Hmm? In Bhakti Mark, what is the bairagya, the tag, the detachment? We don't do tag ostensibly. What we do is this. If I love you, then I will want to do the things that please you, right? If I don't love, if I, and, if I, and if there are things that don't please you, I don't want to do them, right? That's very simple. Is Krishna lovable? Certainly. Hmm? If you love Krishna, then you will find, with good guidance, you will find there are things that are favorable to bhakti. I should do those things. Then you will find there are some things that are not favorable to bhakti. I won't do those things. That's my tag. Do you understand? It comes in the context of love. Hmm? So it's easy to do. If I love you, and I know you don't like that at all. Oh, then I'm, I want nothing to do with that. So the way we accomplish the tyag, which is a negative thing, giving something up, is in the context of something very positive. Namaste? Hmm? It's, <laughs> it's natural. Hmm? Yeah. So, so this is our moral kind of... Uh, uh, guiding light. If it's favorable for Krishna Bhakti, I do it. If it's unfavorable, I, I give it up. Hmm? Now, that may mean it's favorable to my mind, but it's not favorable to Krishna Bhakti, so uh, I should give it up. But some effort is there, but the, 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 the power to do that effort comes from the beauty, the charm, the generosity of, of Krishna, because he's very forgiving also. Hmm? Just like you are. If you love your kids, are you forgiving? <laughs> Pretty much unlimitedly, you know, when it comes down to it, it's very... So, hmm, Krishna's like this. It's not an excuse not to try, but... Hmm. Therefore, we see Uddhava. You know Uddhava? Uddhava is the counselor of Krishna in Dwaraka. So he's Shastravit. He knows everything in Shastra. So Krishna says, as a prince, what should I do, Uddhava? Oh, you should do this. You should, okay. So Krishna sent Uddhava to Vrindavan to tell the gopis and gopas that I'll be coming back soon. Please don't be mad at me. I'll return soon. Well, Uddhava went to give him the message. But then he realized, actually Krishna sent me here to see the kind of bhakti here. It's very extraordinary. Hmm? It's very extraordinary. Hmm? And then he said, Oho bakiyam stanakalakutam. Like this. He said, Who in their right mind will take shelter of anyone other than Krishna? 
Putana. You know Putana? Putana dressed up like a devotee to offer her breast to Krishna. Hmm? With putting poison on the breast to kill him. And Krishna gave her mukti. So he said, who is could be who who could be more kind, more merciful? She just dressed like a devotee. And Krishna said, Oh, well. Anyway, looked like a devotee. <laughs> Looks like a devotee. I will accept like a devotee. Now we shouldn't think I just dressed like a devotee and that'll be enough, but just the point is what to speak if you actually become a devotee. Hmm? These points are made not to, for, for an excuse to just, well, I'll just dress like one and everything will be fine, but they're meant to say, what to speak if you would do it, then what? If you take one step toward him, he would take ten steps toward you. Hmm? And you can live in the world as devotee, because what, what do you understand? As devotee, you understand, Ahamsa, Krishna says, uh, that, uh, end of fifth chapter, what does he say? Bhuktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshvaram. Suridam sarvabhutanam, gnatvamam shantim richiti. He says, bhoktaram yagyatapasam. I'm the bhokta. I'm the enjoyer of all sacrifice. Everything for me, nothing for you. Bhoktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshvaram. I am the maheshvaram sarvaloka of all the lokas. I control everything. I own everything. Everything is meant for my enjoyment. We're sounding like, oh, what's left for us? Then he says, no, no. Suhidam sarvabhutanam. If you accept this, then I become your surid, your friend. We are trying to own everything. We are trying to know everything. We're trying to control everything in our life. But suddenly we find out, oh, there is a controller and owner of everything. And he's my friend. He's my best friend. It's much easier that way, you understand? If you know someone who's very powerful, eh, no problem, <laughs> right? I become his friend, I want a some, little something, no problem, he will, he will make arrangement like this. Hmm? So, this is the idea of Krishna Bhakti. Hmm? You can live in the world, Purnam Sukhayate, the world becomes a happy place because we see everything for the satisfaction of Krishna. We think, I can go to the store, I can buy so many nice vegetables and thing and make a nice offering to Krishna. Hmm? Just like you want to love God. How do you do that? It's not difficult. How do you love anybody? You say, would you like to have dinner? Can I cook something for you? Hmm? you know, in Indian, my Guru Maharaj used to say, but if you travel on the train, you meet somebody, you talk to them about Krishna in such a nice way, that they start to become attracted to you, invite them to your home, come home. Go on, get off the train with me today. Stay at my house. Hmm? You cook nice for them, for Krishna, and offer, and, and, and they will become devotees. <laughs> this is a custom in India. You, see, you, know, you take somebody home with you, right? It's, it's not very much like here. <laughs> you don't even know the person across the way. You know? So different culture, but a good one. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, so the point is, what, if, if, you, if you know the person to whom everything belongs and you're a decent person, then you won't think of it as your own to take for your own purposes, right? Own, knowledge of the proprietor of something diminishes the tendency within us 
for impropriety, to take it for ourselves. If I know it belongs to you, I gave the example the other day, if you're waiting in the, to buy groceries and somebody drops a $20 bill and nobody sees it but you, you could step on it and then go and tie your shoe and you know, pick it up. <laughs> or if you're a decent person, you go, oh, I know it belongs to him, so here, I give it to you. And then you got more than $20, right? Hmm? And everybody looks at you, oh, he's a nice person. Let's see, I like that person. <laughs> we all want affection. Hmm? Very simple. How do we stop taking, exploiting? By bringing into the picture who owns everything. Hmm? And you have to understand this theologically and philosophically. Hmm? And then the deity in your home, the universality of the deity starts to become apparent in due course. In other words, now you keep a deity, maybe a little closet, close the door. That's Krishna's place. The whole rest of the house is ours. Hmm? Maybe he's hungry. I'm hungry, so I give him something, close the door. Yeah. Like that. But eventually, you do this right, you see, the actual, the fact, the universality of the deity. Like, what did Krishna show Arjuna? Is he just there on the chariot? No. Vishparupa, Viratarupa, hmm? everything inside of me. In due course, with good guidance, you start to see like this. And then you don't act one way in front of Krishna and another way somewhere else. Hmm? Like if you're standing in the temple with your kids, you and, and you will relate to them in a certain way. Otherwise, away from there, you may beat them. Who knows what you might? But you wouldn't do that in the temple. Hmm? And so, so that that's you have to come gradually through bhakti. You can see the universality of the deed. Then you don't. One one Hindu man told me some time ago here in North Carolina. I was giving a lecture and I was talking about sankirtan chanting. He said, Swami, I think the spiritual life should be private life and, and not a public life. So you are doing the kirtan and it's public, but I think that the spiritual life should be private. I said, actually, there should be no difference between private life and public life. That is spiritual life. Hmm? Like your husband said to me the other day. Milan? Hmm? He said, what did he say? He said, when you are alone, that's who you are. When you're alone and no one's watching, what you do then, that says who you are. Isn't it? That's true. So we have to make no difference between the private life and the public life. What I am alone by myself. There was one, my, my grand, grand guru in, in India, Thakur Bhakti Vinod. He was uh, also a magistrate in, his, uh, in, the, in the British government for some time. Hmm? And he was also a very religious man. He retired and became an, 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 an aesthetic, aesthetic. But at any, rate, at any rate, someone was envious of him. So they sent someone privately to observe him, spy on him, to find in his private moments something that he might be doing that might be wrong or immoral and then they would publicize it. So they sent a man for two weeks to spy on him and after two weeks that man became a disciple of him. <laughs> so that's what we uh, we have to come to this. So, so I want to like uh, there should be no difference between the private life and the public. No difference between the material life and the spiritual life. You make this material world the spiritual world. Krishna is not 
somewhere else. Hmm? He's everywhere. Okay? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Bhagavan Sri Krishna Ki Jai. What's the time? Good? Okay. Very good. So nice to be with all of you. And uh, some of you have visited us at Saragrahi. We are about maybe two hours from here. Very nice community we have there, 150 acres. You're welcome to come, spend some time. We're developing it gradually, building the temple and so many things. And hopefully in, in time it will facilitate persons like yourself more. You come, spend some time, stay in a cabin, be peaceful, chant with us, take prasad. You're more than welcome. And I hope I get a chance to come to Charlotte again and meet some of you here in your own your own um, location. Again, thank you very much.